Well, good evening out there. Way out there. First, First Timothy chapter 4. Turn there if you've got your Bibles, and if you can't turn there because you don't have your Bible, you're going to have a hard time tonight because we're going to read a lot of Scripture, so find the Bible if you need to. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I used this verse a couple of weeks ago in a sermon for the part of it that we usually use it for, that we're supposed to read Scripture. Uh, But the more I thought about it, I began to wonder what early day preaching was like. I always wonder that. I have a lot of wishes with things that I, I wish I knew or could see or he would have told us a lot more about. And first century worship is one of those things. I wonder what that was like. I know it's nothing like what we're doing uh, in form and look and, and all of that. Uh, hopefully the worship from the heart's the same today, but uh, the format and, and everything else I'm sure was considerably different. Uh, but this verse kept kind of coming back to me the last few weeks, First Timothy 4.13. Paul's writing to the young preacher, Timothy, and he says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and teaching. So he told the young preacher, he said, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. Now, we read Scripture every week, don't we, for about 15 seconds. We, <laughs> we read that Scripture before the sermon, which is good. It kind of sets the tone. It tells basically where most of the sermon thought is coming from or helps us get started at least. Uh, we were on vacation or somewhere one time, and we went to this congregation where sometime in the middle and the songs and prayer, things that we do at the first, uh, a guy got up and said, it's time for the scripture reading. And he said, we're ready for chapter 14 of something. Okay. Uh, their practice was to read a whole chapter every Sunday. They were just reading through the Bible or through the New Testament. I don't know what they were going through, but they read a full chapter every week. And I sat there and I thought, that's pretty cool. That's that's pretty neat. As long as you get somebody that can read Scripture well, uh, that's a good thing to hear Scripture, that much of it, every week. But as I look at verse 13, I think maybe they used Scripture more than we do. Uh, I don't know for sure what all New Testament Scriptures they even had. Um, might have been a whole lot of reading from the Old Testament, but uh, they probably by this time they probably had some of the, the letters around that they could read from, but maybe some of the Gospels. But uh, anyhow, it occurred to me they probably read more Scripture and then preached and taught about it. And when you think about it, that's the right order. The power is in the Word. Uh, Hopefully I can give good illustrations and help you understand it a little better and do a little background research so it comes alive a little more or something. 
but no matter how well I talk or what stories I dream up or whatever, there's no power in any of that. Uh, the power is in the Word. So maybe we ought to read more. And the reason I'm discussing all that is that's what we're going to do tonight and uh, most of the next week is let the Scripture kind of tell the story. We're going to read a lot more Scripture than we usually do. And I hope that has the effect I think it will have, that uh, I think it will stick better in our minds about what we're talking about here. Okay, enough of that introduction. We're training with the Twelve this year on Sunday nights. And the past few weeks we've been seeing how Jesus deals with people, and we're down to his opponents and his persecutors. Uh, we got most of the opponents kind of talked about last week. Uh, there's a group that I set apart here toward the end that are probably a little closer to persecutors in some way, but he's got the same topic in all of these, so I grouped them together. And let's go to the first one, John chapter 5, what we were ready for last week. John chapter 5, verse 16 through 30, and especially some of these conversations that Jesus had with his opponents, I think, are instructive to us about how he dealt with people. Uh, beginning in verse 16. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, now this is the healing at the pool, and we've already talked about that back earlier this year, but because he was doing those things, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My Father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives, his, gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all, uh, all judgment to the Son that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Let's just stop there for just a second. Can you, in your head, see these Pharisees about this time? Uh, can you imagine what, how this is hitting them? You know, they're already mad at him because he says he's equal to the Father, but you listen to some of the things he told them. You know, it, uh, I mean, he's hitting them. Some of this is, you know, hard for us to figure out, but for them who thought he was an imposter and gave him no credence, some of these things, he's like there he said, the father judges no one. He's entrusted me to judge people. Man, he's pretty straight on them. Verse 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life and will not be condemned. He who has he has crossed from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. 
Whereas the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he's the Son of Man. Don't be amazed at this. For a time's coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. What's he just told these guys? Why do these guys think they're approved of God? Because they're circumcised and they keep all the rules and regulations. And here's this guy, this carpenter, who says, my father's let me judge. Don't be amazed. I'm going to call everybody out of their grave someday. I mean, this has got to spin them out completely. Just well, That's the way he dealt with them. He he knew their hearts. He, he, I'm sure he was trying to teach them and all that, but he probably knew they weren't listening very well. But he's very clear about who he is and how they better figure that out. Let's go to another one, John chapter 6. Just on the next page, where well, you got to turn a page in my Bible, verse 41. Now, this whole chapter, or the second part of the chapter, is Jesus is talking about the bread of life. We've mentioned that before, that some of this is a little bit hard to understand. But look, look at this part that he gives to the, the Jews. Uh, verse 41. Uh, at this something he had said about the bread of life, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I'm, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Verse 43, stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the father who sent him me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It's written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the man in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that came come down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Um, yeah, it's gone a little bit. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate man and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. 
Now, that teaching's a little strange, isn't it? One of the main accusations, not main, but a accusation against the early Christians and people that didn't agree with them and wanted to condemn them and all that uh, was that they were cannibals because of this kind of talk. That rumor was spread, that was the gossip, that these people that worship that Jesus, they're cannibals. They talk about eating flesh and blood and all that. Then it's hard to (laughs) argue with that. It does sound a little strange. But that's what he's telling his opponents. He, He told them things that, you know, we have trouble understanding. And as prejudiced as they were... Uh, against him, I can't imagine what some of this teaching did to them. But very clear, however, he's equating himself with God. You know, some people today say, I never claimed to be God. Oh, we look at all these things we're reading here. Go to the next chapter, John 7. We won't read all of this one, but starting in about verse 10. Uh, He taught them, and they called him demon-possessed. The whole thing, he gets into the streams of living water, all of that, we won't read any of it, but uh, you can read it at home. Uh, The point is how clear he was about how he's different. He's God. And the response that they have, he's demon-possessed. And anything else they can think up to try to uh, combat what he's saying. So he's being very clear with them. Let's go to the last one, Matthew 26. At his arrest, very interesting story, Matthew 26, starting in 47. Got it, Matthew 26, 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the temple. Now the betrayer had arranged to signal with them. Uh, The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have to come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you didn't arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Okay. Jesus told them over and over. Here's who I am. This 
the prophets wrote about me. Everything that's happening is happening because that was God's plan. I am the Son of God. And he answered it more, even more directly uh, when we get over into the, the courts and things on the next page. But uh, that, those few verses there when he talked to opponents uh, because of the topic, I thought they ought to be isolated and uh, him describing his sonship and some great teaching in there. All right, let's go over to the next page and go just a little ways. Uh, some of you will be happy to know we're going to stop a little early tonight, give you some travel time. <laughs> All right, his persecutors. These persecutors are directly involved on the, that dark betrayal night that we talked about this morning. And how he deals with each one and what he says or doesn't say, I think, is an amazing study about the Lord on that last night. So let's go through this a little bit of it anyway. John chapter 18. Okay, he'd been arrested, now he's before Annas, verse 13. Uh, let's read verse 12. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Uh, Caiaphas was the one who advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Okay, so he went first to Annas. And I've asked you this before, and nobody will ever give me an answer. How, how many of you watched that AD TV series that was all about Christ after the crucifixion and the start of the church and all that? Okay, same answer I always get. Good, I got a couple tonight. Excellent. Well, I, so much of that was about the interplay between Annas and Caiaphas and uh, Pilate and Herod, and, and all of that was a huge political mess. And this mess was especially a mess. Uh, Annas was the old high priest, but he still had a whole lot of power, and he had got his, or his daughter had got his son-in-law uh, elected high priest, and she was a real scoundrel. But the whole political mess is going on here. So when you've seen that or studied a little bit of history about it, uh, all of this is really interesting. And he goes first to Annas. This is the old retired high priest that still had, like I said, a bunch of power. So let's go down to 19. So meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is that the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? 
Then Anna sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay? Uh, I, I put that in there because sometimes we get the idea that Jesus didn't say anything. And a lot of times he didn't, we're going to find out. But he spoke up some. Uh, here he gives a pretty good defense of himself to Annas, and I think it's because he knew who Annas was. He's the old man that wasn't quite as up on who Jesus was, and all that's how he started. He started asking him about his disciples and his teaching. What do you teach? And Jesus basically told him, you could have found out. You could have come listen anytime you wanted, and I hadn't told you anything wrong. So uh, that's where he started on that that night. Then let's go back to Matthew 26. Kind of fun to flip through the Bible and actually turn pages and everything. No PowerPoints. I thought about putting all these on PowerPoints, but I couldn't read that fast. Those things go quick. Uh, Poor people listening to this tape have no idea what we're talking about. That reminds me, a little item of note here in the middle of the sermon. Uh, We get the live streaming and we don't talk about it very often. It's getting amazing how many people around the country and around the world are using our live streaming. Um, a gentleman, I can't even remember where he's from, but he called in and said he live streams on Sunday night and he wondered if there's any way that he could get the handout before Sunday night. So he could, I mean, a lot of people say, send me the handout. Of course, we don't have them until after We've studied them, but he wanted to know if we could put them online somehow, if we could get the handout so he can follow along and watch us as we talk about this. So we've started emailing him the, the handouts before Sunday night, and he studies right along with us. And where was that lady from this, this week? Minnesota or somewhere? Something like that, up way up north. Uh, she's from Hutchison originally, uh, but she says she's figured out how to do our live streaming. Uh, she's 90 years old, and she watches it on her iPad. <laughs> but she gets Sunday night services from us and uh, is watching right now, I presume. So you folks who I'm talking about, welcome. We're, we're glad you're with us. All right, Matthew 26, 57. Okay. Uh, now he's got Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. So we got the in-power high priest, but he's not the one with all the uh, political power. But he's got the Sanhedrin behind him. So here we go, verse 57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they didn't find any. 
though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, in the future, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He's worthy of death, they answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, Prophesy to us, Christ, who hit you. Okay? These are the rulers, the, the chief priests, the elders, the teachers of the law. Okay? Jesus flipped them completely out when he answered that one. Uh, that was total admitted blasphemy, claimed he was God, and went right on and said, uh, I'm going to sit at his right hand. You're going to see me come on the clouds of heaven. I mean, oh boy, he, he didn't say much, <laughs> but he said enough. They, they knew who he claimed to be, and that didn't, didn't go over very well, to put it lightly. All right, Luke 22, next step. I can find Luke 22. Luke 22, verse 66. All right, now he's before Pilate and Herod and the Council of the Elders. We're going to read the Council of the Elders first. At daybreak, the Council of the Elders of the people, both the chief priests and teachers of the law, met together. And Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, if I tell you, you won't believe me. And if I ask you, you wouldn't answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You are right in saying I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. All right, so a little different group, this council. Uh, they met at daybreak. The rest of it had been through the night hours. But it's daybreak now, and he meets with them, and they ask him the same thing. Are you claiming to be the Son of God? Yep, that's right. Uh, you got that one right. And that was settled it for them. They didn't need any more testimony. Anybody who claimed to be God, uh, they, they couldn't put up with that. All right, then we go to Pilate and Herod and the non-Jewish officials and all that. I think that would be a good place to uh, stop tonight and tackle the rest of the trial next week. I'll let you go just a bit early tonight. So let's stop there.
the lesson is yours for the study of how Jesus dealt with his persecutors. And next week, I think it will get even more interesting and more personal. So come back then. You're here and need to respond in any way to the Lord's invitation or to share something with his family. We'd be happy to take time to do that. We're going to sing a song of invitation. We invite you to come if you need to. Brother Wes, stand and sing. <laughs>